The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. You got your Bibles, open them up to the book of Luke, chapter number 7. And we are going to read the verses that I asked you not to read in the middle of the message last night. And just out of curiosity, as we get started, how many of you have already read the verses that I asked you not to read last night? Okay, that's all right. We still love you. And that's, we're not going to hold it against you, but I want to be an encouragement to you today because these four verses have floored me over the last year or so as I've been studying this passage of Scripture. I think it'll be an encouragement to you as well. Let's remember where the story of Luke chapter 7 is being set up, just as a way of context. Jesus, the wonderful Savior of the universe, the one who deserves our attention, our affection, and our all, that same Jesus has been invited over to a house. It was probably a nice home. It was a Pharisee. His name is Simon. And this Pharisee says, Jesus, why don't you come over to my house for dinner? And Jesus obliges the Pharisee. Now, when he gets to dinner, it's almost as if Simon says like, oh, hey, Jesus, make yourself at home. And rather than greeting him and ordaining him and going through the proper formalities that he probably should receive as being a guest in Simon's house, it's almost as if Simon is busy doing things and not giving him the attention that he deserves. And the meal begins. And when the meal begins, everyone is sitting around the table. And the meals would have been a little bit different than they are today. We sit at tables and we sit upright and we have place settings. Probably the table was, was lower, maybe about 18 or 24 inches off the ground. And, and rather than having a stool or a chair like we would, it would be customary for people somewhat to lounge on the uh, pillow or some soft surface and they would uh, share in a buffet table and perhaps bring something over to their plate, whether it was fish or um, hummus or it was some other type of food that was acceptable in their diet. And so they bring that in. And in the middle of this environment comes this lady. And as soon as she walks in, everyone knows this lady because she is a sinner. We don't know what type of sin it was. We could conjecture. But as she comes in, she's emotionally distraught. She's weeping and she's who barely can contain herself, and she goes to the Lord's feet that are probably resting behind him as he's serving himself at this table, and she begins to wash his feet, not with water, but with her very own tears. Now, that's, that's very sweet, but it's also kind of gross, right? And so the, <laughs> and she's crying, and then she pulls out this ointment, and she pours this expensive perfume on his feet and the food that had filled that room with an aroma of savor was now replaced by this fragrant perfume that's going all throughout and everyone stops and it's in attention and you ever been in an awkward place where you don't know what to say and you don't know how to address I imagine that's how everybody else is feeling and Simon thinks in his mind if if Jesus knew who this lady was then she would, uh, he would obviously not let her touch him, would obviously stop this whole bizarro circus that's going on inside of my house. And that's where Jesus addresses 
our text for today. If you're with me, look at verse number 40. The Bible says, And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence. 500 pence would probably be the equivalent of several tens of thousands of dollars. Maybe fifty to $100,000. And then there was another one who owed $50. Maybe a few thousand dollars, a thousand, maybe $2,000. One is huge in ratio and the other one is small in comparison. And the Bible tells us, and when they had nothing to pay, it didn't matter if they had 500, didn't matter if they had 50, there was no way that they would be able to pay it in and of themselves. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. And then our master asks the Pharisee this poignant question. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Well, that's a fair question, isn't it? The question could go to you as well. If someone owes $100,000 and another person owes $2,000 and the person they owe it to says to him, um, you owe zero. You owe zero. If you owe $100,000, you don't know how you're going to get through that. Your head is swimming and you're thinking about the time you're 53 years old, maybe you'll pay this off. But all of you, if you owed $1,000 or $2,000, you could think, I could work an extra shift here, and I could do this over the summer, and I could maybe get two jobs. I could DoorDash and Uber Eats. I could do a number of different things to be able to get myself through this. But the one who owes this is like, I can't believe it. You're forgiven. And as they're forgiven, who's going to love the creditor more? Well... Simon answers, and he says in verse 43, I suppose he to whom thou forgavest most, and he said unto him, thou hast rightly judged. Now this is what challenges me. At the end of verse 42, Jesus says this, tell me therefore which one of them will love him most. I want to love God, don't you? I want the Lord to know I love him. But there's a truth that Jesus reveals in scripture that challenges me. I told you last night that in my life I grew up as a a second generation Christian. My whole life, a Becca video homeschool, Awanas, going to Sunday school. I was teaching classes when I was 12 and 13 years old. I was somewhat of a Christian leader even in high school. Went to this place and learned about the Word of God and grew in my knowledge and service to the Savior through Pensacola Christian College. And then I read a passage like this and it says that if I have not gone through all of these crazy life experiences, maybe I'm not going to love the Lord the way that someone else does. In Las Vegas... We are not, uh, it is not uncommon to hear stories of amazing conversions. I see Drew. Drew could tell stories of amazing conversions in our city. Just in this last year, I could tell you about a guy, his name is Matt, and seven months ago he was practicing witchcraft. He was literally a witch. And his teacher invited him to church. And back in the summer, he trusted Jesus Christ as his savior. When Matt, 
When Matt comes to church, Matt has a Bible and he has a notebook like this. And he is just... Because when you tell the story of Joseph and his coat of many colors and being sold into slavery and then being raptured out of that to the, the king's palace and becoming second in command and the story of redemption and the brothers come in and Joseph reveals himself and he says, it is me, I'm your brother, how's my dad doing? And Matt, when he hears that story, he's like, that's in the Bible? You take a story like Jonah and the whale and he, see, he hears the story of Jonah. He's like, was that a real whale? What kind of whale was it? And I just say Shamu. That's what I always say when people say it. That was Shamu. I don't know what kind of whale it was. That's a real story. When Jesus was walking on water, like did he really walk on water? Yes, he walked on water. Wow. And when Matt hears those stories, I, he was in my office just a few weeks ago. He says, I just can't believe all of this stuff. I'm learning all of these things for the very first time. And it blows his mind. I could tell you about Will and Emily. Will and Emily, both combat veterans from over in Iraq, came to church. And a year and a half ago, when they came to church, right around Easter time, they trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Will has a GI Bill that he's never used. And now he's studying at a seminary to get a Bible degree. He'll come into my office from time to time. It's like, Pastor Matt, tell me what you think about the hypostatic union. Awesome! And he's using theological words. He's like, I've never learned this stuff before. Do you mean that Jesus died for my sins? Is there any sin I can do that would remove me from the love of Jesus Christ? No, Will, you're saved and you're saved forever. Wow. Wow. And it, it overwhelms young Christians. I could tell you about Craig and Anna who were in my office last Tuesday night. And their co-worker invited them to come to our church. They were going, they'd been married for about 17 months. And they realized that in their marriage, there was something missing. When Craig walked into my office, he was wearing a big flannel shirt and jeans and big boots. And he had spacers about the size of a quarter in each one of his ears. And his hair was underneath a ball cap. And when he pulled it off to come inside, it was purple and blue and a little bit pink. And when... when uh, Craig walked in with his wife, Anna. They sat down and we started listening to what their story was. And I shared with them that I think the most important thing that they need in their life is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you know for sure you're going to heaven? No. And I said, could I share with you? And both of them prayed in my office to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. And Craig said this. As soon as he was done praying, he looked up and he says, I'm kind of tingling inside. And I sit and I listen to Craig and I'm like, oh, that's so wonderful. That's so good. I could tell you about RJ, who just, just four days ago, I met him in the hospital. And he's going through some, uh, going through some uh, difficult times and surgeries and different things. He said, I just want to make sure that I'm right with Jesus. And I held his hand and he prayed to receive Jesus Christ as his savior. And he says this, I just feel like there was a weight lifted off of me. Okay. See, that's wonderful, Matt. I'm so grateful for that. But I just want to be honest with you. In my relationship with Jesus, I don't remember a whole lot of times where the weight was lifted off of me. At six years old, I'm praying to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. Can I tell you what I remember as my worst sin? 
My parents said, don't go into our closet. It's Christmas time. Don't go into our closet. If you go into our closet, you're going to get in trouble. You're going to get a spanking. And as a six-year-old, I went into the closet. And I saw the G.I. Joe hovercraft that I had been asking and begging for for months. And when I walked in there and I saw the G.I. Joe hovercraft, I remember thinking, yes! And the Holy Spirit of God said, sinner! That Sunday night, <laughs> that Sunday night, my dad was preaching in church. And as he's preaching in church, this is my bad sin. He said, some of you have sinned. Some of you are in place. You just need to get right with God. And I remember stepping out of my seat as a six-year-old and coming forward to the altar and saying, Lord, I was wrong. I sneaked and I learned about the G.I. Joe hovercraft. It's a weight. <laughs> and I remember saying to the Lord, Lord, would you help me forget that I'm going to get a G.I. Joe hovercraft for Christmas? He didn't. Those are the consequences of sin. <laughs> and I remember thinking, oh, I'm so bad. But I'll tell you this, and I, and I get this, and you know this too, that sin is sin is sin, right? All sin is bad. But when I'm saved at such a young age, I don't have this history of sin. And so here the scripture shows a truth that I have to come to, to reconcile in myself, that there's going to be a need to learn to love. And that's what I want to challenge you with today. How many of you, like me, grew up in a Christian home? Would you raise your hand? Oh, look at that. Okay, this will be interesting. How many of you, like me, were saved, from, uh, saved because you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ before you were 15 years old? Raise your hand. Wow, look at that. Now look around. This is, a, this is an audience for most of us did not have to go down this winding road of sin and debauchery. God got your entire life at a very young age. But just like this Pharisee is not going to have the same passion, the same exuberance, the same emotional love for Jesus, I believe this, that some of us are going to deal with that too. I know I do. And so I have to learn to love Jesus, just like you need to learn to love Jesus. Now, if you have this wonderful emotional relationship with Jesus, where when you hear a song, you're just like, oh, the tears are running. That's great. Sometimes I have that too. But in my life, there has to be a process of discipleship that teaches me how to love Jesus. I want to share with you four things that have helped me learn to love Jesus. And they're all over in the books of Timothy. So take your Bible and go over to First and Second Timothy where we're going to look at five scriptures together on how I learn to love Jesus. If there's a delta and this emotional relationship with Jesus Christ is something that I can, uh, might not be as natural, might not be as authentic, might not be as spontaneous as somebody who comes from this life of sin and saved in their 30s. If there's an opportunity for me to renew my love or my passion for Jesus, then I want it. Now, don't get confused because love is a learned behavior. In Romans chapter 13 and verse number 10, the Bible says that love is the fulfilling of the law. In Titus chapter 2 and verse number 4, the Bible instructs women to learn from older women how they might learn to love their husband. And what I want to share with you is that you can love Jesus. Your walk with God does not have to be 
a static quotient that doesn't grow and it's just kind of this, this uh, yes, I just love the Lord. I want you to have a passionate love for Jesus. I want you to know the great God of the universe. But if you raised your hand and said, oh, I was saved before I was 15 years old, there's going to be some challenges that you'll face that the guy who was a witch nine months ago doesn't face. And there's going to be a, a, a history that you don't have. And sometimes I've seen young people say this, they'll, they'll almost um, manufacture crisis in their life so that they have a testimony to share. You know, when I was 16, I did some things I'm not happy about. And they'll manufacture things. And you don't have to go out and do something bad to learn to love Jesus. We can love Jesus if we understand four things. Number one, if we will study the word of God, we'll learn to love Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verse number 15, the scripture says this. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. What's that scripture teach us? The scripture teaches us this, that you need to study the word of God. I need to study the word of God. Do you know this book? Do you understand what this book is saying? Not what somebody else is telling you, but you. Do you have a relationship with the word of God? Do you study this book? Do you know this book? Is it the, is it the uh, harbinger of your life that goes back to default every single time? Well, what's the Bible say? Well, what's the Bible say? The world is filled with philosophies. The three biggest movies this last year were all promoting different agendas. The Barbie movie had an agenda. Hi, Barbie. Oppenheimer had an agenda. Even Super Mario Brothers had an agenda. Peaches, 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 peach. Every single one of them have an agenda. And if we are blind to that, we will just continue in life saying, well, that's good and, and that's fine and that's funny and that's cute and, and, and it's no big deal. And this is what I want to challenge you with. Does the word of God dictate what you do? Do you know the word of God? Does this Bible transform your life? Do you know what you believe about drinking? Not what's the institutional rule. Because there will be a time, maybe this summer, maybe a summer from now, when you're going to go to a wedding and other people from this place will be drinking at a wedding. Are you going to be drinking? It's a good question, right? When people start sharing videos or television series, and they're promoting and like, oh, everybody watches this. Do you watch it? Is the Bible your standard or are you just getting along? Well, I didn't get any demerits. And I, and I, I think that's important, okay? Don't go do something dumb. But a demerit is not the standard of holiness before God. God's never going to look at you and say, looks here in fall of 2024, you had an infraction for not emptying the trash. Write that down, Michael. <laughs> you understand that, don't you? So just because we can keep an institutional standard or follow an institutional rule or be good Baptist boys and girls and have the right type of haircut or the proper uh, skirt length does not mean that our heart is right with God. You need to know the word of God. Do you study the Bible? Do you have a time with you and God where you study the Bible? This book is transformative. 
But I think sometimes we get so comfortable with it when somebody opens up to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We start to think, oh, this is David and the Goliath. Only a boy named David, only a little sling. We know these things. And as we're going through these things, we, we become so comfortable with them and we live our lives like the Pharisee. Where when Jesus enters in, the creator God of the universe. Oh, that's just Jesus. Make yourself at home. Do whatever you want. And we don't give him the adoration and the praise. If you're saved here this morning, say yes. Then the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you. He will guide you to all truth. When I was 17 years old, I started reading this book every day. Oh, I've missed a whole bunch of days between then and now. But I'll tell you this. As I've read this book, I've read this book completely from cover to back about 20 times. And in those 20 times, every time I go through it, I'll say, wow, I've never seen that before. I've never seen that before. Oh, and it challenges me because the word of God is quick. It is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces through the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Let the word of God transform your life. Do you study the word of God? Or are you just taking somebody else's word for it? Are you just going through a little checkbox devotional plan? God wants you to be a student of his word. Do you know his book? When you start to read this book, it will develop a love inside of you. Number two, God doesn't want us just to study his word, but he wants us to serve. Look at the Bible, scripture, where it says this in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 7. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 7, the Bible says this, but refuse profane and old wise fables. I get asked questions all the time. Pastor Matt, what do you think about tattoos? Well, I do know this. I don't believe in drawing circles on your body. <laughs> like Pastor Redland said yesterday, you don't draw circles on your body. But I do believe this, that their Bible has answers for should a Christian wear a tattoo? You say, well, what is it? Study the Bible and find out. I believe this, that there's an answer should a Christian be drinking. I had a young person say, Pastor Matt, do you think it's wrong for me to have a TikTok? Well, I have an opinion about that. But you have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. So what's the Holy Spirit of God and his word teaching you that you should do? See, the Bible is a place where we can learn what God says for us. And he challenges us here to refuse old wise fables and uh, parables that are profane. Why? Because there's traditions that you grew up in. Some of you grew up in very strict homes. For crying out loud, when I came to Pensacola Christian College for the first time in 1996, and I was able to drive to the Cordova Mall without calling my dad first, and then when I arrived, call him when I arrived, and when I left the Cordova Mall, call him, and when I arrived back on campus, call him, I felt like, freedom! Because I grew up in a, in a strict home where it's like, if you're going to go here, are there going to be girls there? Are there going to be girls there? I think so. You cannot go. <laughs> and when I came here, I felt like there was, you, might, you may have come like, from a home like that. But then you grow into adulthood and you've got to make your own decisions. And as you grow into adulthood, the Bible says, refuse old wise fables. So look what he says in verse number four in verse seven. Chapter four, verse seven, he says, exercise thyself rather unto godliness. 
Oh, I love that word. That word exercise means to put in effort. You've got to work at it. This is my question to you. Number one, are you studying the word of God? Number two, are you serving? Where do you serve? Where do you give of yourself? This campus environment is unlike just about any other campus environment in the world. I know that if you're a student here and you have first hour classes and you're working a workload of 12 or 15 hours, your days are full and busy, aren't they? I, and, I, and I appreciate that and I love it and I'm so thankful for people that work in food service and environmental services and will give of themselves so that we have the beautiful grounds and landscape that we have around here. You guys work and you work hard and it's no joke, your classes are difficult classes. But what is easy to adopt when we're in an environment like this is a consumer mentality for Christianity. Not only that, we can become comfortable in our culture of Christianity. And in that culture and that comfortable Christianity, we start to adopt a cynical attitude of a concierge service. As if something is owed us because we paid our tuition on time. This is what the Bible says. The Bible says, exercise yourself unto godliness. You need to serve. You need to be serving. I need to be serving. I would imagine within the next week or so, there's going to be some type of Christian service expo. Every single one of our Christian service expos should be, uh, Christian services should be blowing up with students. Look around. This community needs Jesus. And you're the answer. Do you know that there are lost people here in Pensacola, Florida? There are little boys and little girls that will come out to Bible Club. And you can meet the need. You need to serve. Do you have a Christian service that you're serving in? Or is your weekend reserved for yourself? I challenge you that there's a place for you to serve. And if you will serve you can change the world. About a year and a half ago, those of you who are seniors and juniors, you would remember when the restriction of guys and girls meeting off campus was lifted. If you remember that, say yes. Prior to that, it was kind of awkward. You'd go through a Walmart and you'd see a girl and you'd be like, I do not want to get in trouble. And then through the leadership and I think sound wisdom, there was a decision made, you know what, we want, we want this to be a place where guys and girls can feel normal and maybe go to dinner together or participate in activities together. So let me ask you this, with that, with that restriction being lifted, isn't that an opportunity for men and women to invest in world change? To make a difference? Oh, rather than being able to go to a putt-putt golf, maybe we could start to affect a community through a Bible club or through a, a Christian service project or through going and removing graffiti or helping out with a pregnancy center or working with a first responder and handing out backpacks or going and cleaning up litter in a place. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we didn't use our liberty as a means to our flesh, but by love we served one another? Wouldn't that be kind of cool if we started to use that which we've been given as liberty as not an occasion to the flesh, but by love we serve one another. Guys and girls, men and women, first future 
Christian leaders of America, start today. Serve. You can serve the Lord today. It's not something that you're preparing to do. It's not something that you're training for. You should serve the Lord today. If you can paint a face, if you can do balloon animals, if you can pass out tickets, there are opportunities. Wouldn't it be wonderful if collegiate presidents, rather than looking at the next big thing to do at OWA, would go around the community and say, maybe we could fix this, and maybe we could fix this, and in partnership with the liberty that God's given them, they start to transform Pensacola Christian College so that your four years here, you were not just a consumer, but you were a contributor, and this community was different because you served our Savior. And I'm telling you, when you start to serve your Lord, it will give you a love for him. There's a good tired. There's a good tired of being in service and you've been working with nursery kids or you've been teaching uh, third and fourth graders or you were helping out with seventh and eighth grade boys. There's a special prize in heaven for those that help serve seventh and eighth grade boys. And you can do that. You can change people's lives. You can go to a basketball court and rather than using profanity, you can show the love of Jesus Christ to high schoolers. You can serve. And when we serve, it wets our love for Jesus Christ. We should study, we should serve. Number three, we should share. I want everybody to take your phones out right now. Everybody, take your phones out. It's okay, you won't get in trouble. Everybody take your phones out and I want you to open up your notes. Because God desires for us to share Jesus Christ. There's a world that is lost and dying and going to hell. And you are the hope. So take your phones out. Don't text. Don't take pictures. I want you to get to the notes page. And I want you to open up a notes page. And I went on the top. Gospel presentation or something like that. This is how I share Jesus with people. And if you've never shared the uh, gospel with somebody. This is the method I will use almost exclusively. Now, I'll vary it based upon the situation, but you need to be a gospel preacher. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 2, the Bible says, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, rebuke, uh, exhort with all long suffering. Why? Because God desires for you to be a proclaimer of the gospel. Have you ever led somebody to Jesus Christ? Have you ever told somebody that their sins have damned them to hell, but Jesus has loved them enough to purchase their salvation? Have you shared Jesus? This is how I share Jesus. Number one, the first verse is 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. Here's the first phrase. The Bible is the word of God. I don't want to share opinion. I don't want to share my own ideas. I want to share the Bible is the word of God. Number one. The Bible is the word of God. It's our authority. You believe that. You know Jesus. So I'll use the scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16. And I've used my phone. I've used a hard copy of the Bible before. And sometimes I've just gone by memory. RJ, who who trusted Christ as a savior four days ago, I led him to the Lord using my memory. Okay? 2 Timothy 3.16. Number two, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. The Bible teaches this, this, in John chapter 14, verses 8 and 9. Show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? Jesus Christ is God. If Jesus Christ is not God, then there's no hope for his death to propitiate our sins. Number three, we are all sinners. 
Every single one of us are sinners. The scripture I use there is Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. For all have sinned. Many of these you've already memorized. Number four, our sin deserves hell. And I use the scripture Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. Number five, Jesus paid for my sin. Jesus paid for my sin. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then Romans chapter 10 and verse 13. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's five things you have to do. Uh, there's five, one, five things you must believe and one thing you must do in order to know for sure you're going to heaven. Share Jesus. We must study. We must serve. We must share. You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.